How's everybody doing? Praise the Lord. So good to see all. So yes, our Rooted class is coming up, and um, we would like to see some people go through it that can become future leaders in the class. So you might be like, hey, I know all of that. That's awesome. Um, But we would love to get you in the room so you can do it and then be a blessing to others the next time it comes around. Amen? Because we need leaders for Jesus. And so anyway, it's so good to see you all. I know we have so many sick. How many have someone home that's not feeling well today or you know someone? Oh, well, praise God. I do. (laughs) I guess my world has people that sick in it. So praise God, all is well. Listen, next week we are doing our Heart for the House love offering, and I'm super excited. So don't forget to take your Heart for the House card home, pray over it, talk to the Lord, and see what your portion would be this year for God's house. And then we're also going to be doing our prayer tunnel. So make sure you bring your family pictures. Um, If you want to bring a pocketbook, we're going to pray over your house next Sunday. And we're going to have every one of you walk through our prayer tunnel and we're going to pray over you. How many want some miracles this year? And I believe that they are coming. So, And just so you know, we have hearts in the box, so you can come up during worship and continue to fill out hearts um, in the next few weeks. We're going to pray over these every day um, that we already have been doing that, okay? Well, today is a week three for Heart for the House, and if you've missed the last two messages, you have to jump online and you have to hear um, the messages because they were a word for, from God for our body, and I believe they were a prophetic, timely word. And so today I'm doing part three. Next week, Pastor Paul's going to wrap up with part four, and I'm super excited about that. So let's just read our uh, theme scripture for this series. This is David out of Psalms 132, verses three through five. He said this, I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not allow no sleep. I will allow no sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. How many know God wants a place to dwell? well. He wants a place of worship. He loves his bride and he loves his church. And so today I'm um, bringing a message that is called whenever God wants to build something, he does three things. Whenever God wants to build something, he does three things. And the first couple ones are really going to, I want you not to only think about this house, but I want you to think about your house. Because I believe God wants to do new things in your house this year. Amen. And so I believe these principles are going to help you get to the place that God wants you to be and what you see for your own life. We don't want to be in the same place we've been. Amen. We want to be in the place that God has designed for us. So again, whenever God wants to build something, he does these three things. Now, he might do more, but these are just the three that I've researched, okay, and my experience in building. Number one, in our life, God brings things to order. Whenever God wants to build in your life, when things need to change, when there's dreams and vision, we serve a God of order. I have learned that God anoints order. Now, he does some supernatural things, but we're going to go through scripture that God wants to bring the chaos in your life and bring order to it. And you look at the very beginning, and he gave the example straight out the gate in Genesis 1-1. What does it say? God said, let there be light light and the universe was flooded with it. What happened? There was chaos here on earth. There was no order on the earth. And what was the first thing God did? He brought order. 
He brought structure. The words from God's lips caused the word, the worlds to come into being. What happened? From chaos, he went from chaos to cosmos just like that. Your world can go, or your situation, it may not be everything in your life, but it can go from chaos to uh, order just like that. When you get the word of God in your life, God wants to bring your finances in order. God wants to bring your marriage in order. He wants to bring God's house in order. He wants your body in order. Amen. He wants to take the chaotic things that are out of control and through his word, he wants to bring order. Amen. The word brings order to chaos. So whatever you're facing in your life that may be a little, little out of control, you need to know that the first thing God will address is to bring that thing into order. Amen. Anything that stays out of order and chaos too long only brings destruction and loss. It's, it's a tailspin of the same results, amen? So when God formed, created everything, he did it by starting with the world. He brought the world into order. He brought formless void and he shaped it into his word, with his word. So he took the world and he brought order with his word. The same thing happens on the inside of us. When we come to Christ, we have a void on the inside of us. We have chaos on the inside of us. I praise the Lord. Some of you are starting out young and you won't have as much, but we all have things in our life that God wants to bring order on the inside of us. So not just in the world, but in our lives. God's word wants to come and bring life and peace to you. Life and peace to your situation. God wants to bring order and beauty to the situation that you're facing in your life. Amen? God begins to form order from chaos. Now, how does he do that? You look at scripture, and whenever God has a calling forth of order, that means there's separation. Okay, whenever order needs to come to your life, there has to be a separation. God wants to move new things into our life, but there are some chaotic things that need to go out of our life. Say separation. You know, we come to Jesus by grace, but there's things he's like, I need you to separate from that thing right now. Amen. So let's just look at scripture. Day one, what did the Bible in scripture? It says day one, he separated light from darkness. Darkness was chaos and God brought light. There was a separation. He separated the day from the night. Amen? Night is chaos. Day is, is um, order. He separated the two. Day two, we find separation from the skies above and the water below. There was separation. Separation brings order. Number three, day three, he separated the land from the seas. So what does God want to do in our life? He wants to separate bad behavior from your life. He wants to separate wrong thinking in your life. What is bringing the chaos? There has to be a separation from those things or it will never change. You'll stay in constant chaos. You'll stay in constant defeat. Amen. You have to separate. What do we have to do? I have to separate bad spending issues. <laughs> I have to separate spending out of my budget if I want my finances in order. Amen? There has to be a separation. There's, sometimes there's seasons that God wants us to separate from friendships. There are some people in our life that God says, that's chaos right now. I need a separation 
from those kind of people in your life, the toxic behavior, the draining people. We love people. That doesn't mean that they're in our world all the time. In my life, God has removed many people because they weren't going with the season God has called me to go into. Doesn't mean they weren't good people, just means they weren't meant for my season. There's places that God wants us to remove from our life. Places we go, our bad thinking. And on my journey of walking with Jesus, every time God was trying to bring order, he brought separation to my life. When, God, when I got born again, he brought separation to the things of the world. When I laid down my life a living sacrifice, there was friends I had to not spend time with. They were worldly friends. They weren't kingdom people. They weren't kingdom-minded, amen? I knew I had to have a separation for order to come into my spiritual life. When I went into full-time ministry, I didn't know I was about to go into full-time ministry, but the Lord separated me. He separated me to come alone with him, to spend time with him. I I wasn't able to run and and be super busy. You know, busy is just the enemy of order. There's sometimes God will just say, calm down. I want to pull you away with me. I want to spend time with you. There's some things I need to deposit in you. The things of the old need to go away, and I need to put some new things in you. But you won't slow down long enough for me to remove the chaos. God wants to separate when he brings order. You look at scripture, what did God separate? God separates the sheep from the goats for order. God separates the wheat from the tares when he's bringing order. He separated, we know he allowed man to do it, the Old Testament from the New Testament. Why? Because chaos brings confusion. You study the Old Testament, it's confusing. Come on, somebody. Unless you have a spiritual revelation, it can be confusing. Now, the New Testament identifies separation. It's God's grace. It's God's love. It's God's forgiveness. There's a separation. God wants to remove confusion from your life. Every time the church got out of chaos, because how many know God wants the church in order? People are like, well, I just want the Holy Spirit to move. Yes, we do, but we also want order for the Holy Spirit to move through. And we find that in the church of Corinthian, they were all over the place. They were so excited, but Paul had to write a letter to the church of Corinthia saying, what are y'all doing? The women were talking like crazy. They were louder than what was going on. And and that's where people get the misconception that women shouldn't preach in the church. No, the women were talking in the church. He told them to be quiet because women set separate from the men. That's not my teaching today. I'm just throwing it in there. Just for you to know. But he's saying, you guys, be quiet. Women, be quiet. Quit running around speaking in tongues all the time. They were so excited. We believe in praying in tongues. But he said, all you're doing is praying in tongues. Nobody's getting the understanding of God's word, scripture. So he had to bring order to the church. Not not legalism, but structure. Because God is in order. Otherwise, there's just pure chaos everywhere. Amen? He wanted the message of the scriptures to come forth. God is a God of order. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 14.33. Love this verse. It's to the Corinthian church. How many have seen those TikToks or, or reels floating around that says if Paul had to write a letter to the church today? Has anybody seen those? They are so funny. Like The church does need letters from Paul today. Anyway, so Paul wrote this. He said, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. When your finances are chaos, there's no peace there. 
And it's hard. And that's why God says, wait, examine your budget. Examine where you're at. Allow me to bring order to it so that I can bless you. Amen? God is, God is a God, excuse me, of, not of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. Continued chaos only produces more pain. If you're not willing to bring order to the relationship and face some things, it can't change. Amen? God wants to bring order to his church. If he wants to bring order to the church, he brings order. If he wants to bless the marriage, he brings order. If he wants to bless your home, he brings order. I know this is such a simple message, and yet we don't do it. (laughs) You're like, duh, of course it's supposed to bring order, but are we doing it? I'm talking about the chaos things. Are we sitting down and getting real with the things that are not in order in our life? This is how important it is to God. Look at the uh, verse 40 Paul wrote where the Apostle Paul tells us, let all things be done decently and in order. There is decent and order. So I looked up the word decently and it's the Greek word and you'll see it up there. I'm not even going to attempt to say it, but there it is. And it translates to this. It's only found two other times in the New Testament, only three times in Scripture, the word decently translated in that, in that word. And it means this, to do something honestly or walk honestly. So when he says to do to decently in order, it means you better face the situation honestly. Quit ignoring the fact that there are problems in the situation. Quit putting it under the the rug, hoping it disappears. If you want that thing in order, get truthful with yourself. Get truthful with God. This thing is a hot mess in my world. If I have a situation in my church, I am going to face it, and I'm going to get real. That's a problem, because my dad always told me, or it was my mom, one of them, what you don't deal with will deal with you. How many's ever had that happen? Because, oh, it'll get better. Oh, I'll pray the prayer of faith. Oh, I'll get my prayer partner. I'll get my fasting. Listen, I have walked till I was blue in the face in anointed chairs, and it didn't change the situation. Why? Because God's like, I want you to face it and I want you to deal with it. (laughs) I'm requiring you to bring order to that situation. So he said, get honest with yourself. Walk honestly, right? God wants it done properly. And he wants it, it has to do with the intent and motivation of your heart. So when you're facing that situation, it's like, what is really going on in my heart? You're like, well, if I could just change the actions, if I could just change the situations, and God's like, no, if you would just change your heart, I will cause the action to change. Years ago, I just, man, I just thought credit cards were free money. I'm like, ka-ching, ka-ching. And sister girl is like high maintenance. Like, I love it all, you know? And I had to face some debt, and it was not pretty. And I sat down, and I I had to get it in order. I had to face the fact, Barb, you have a problem. It's not going to go away. You got to face it. And I sat down with a, a money guy and a numbers guy, and, we, and I, I cried. It was overwhelming. But the moment I faced it, the moment I said, I'm going to stop spending money, the moment it was so hard to only just give my tithe and, and not buy gifts and not do extravagant, when I faced it, God provided resources to pay the debt off because God anoints order. 
how can you know where your resources are at? This wasn't even really where the direction I was going on just money, but I feel the Holy Spirit is saying this. Face your resources. Get the budget under control because I believe anybody, even the lost, would want to give to the church. They want to help the needy. They want to help the poor. Everybody has a heart to give, but it's when we don't have it in order is where we struggle. So God's like, get real with it. Get the heart right. I'm having a problem in my marriage. I'm having a problem, whatever it is, and I'm going to face it, and I'm going to have it decently, and then scripture says in order. So what does the word order mean? It means taxes in the Greek. Tax it. And it carries the idea of something that's done in a fitting way and something that's done in order. Now, let me expand this a little bit. I don't know if many of you know the, um, the, the theologian or historian, I guess, uh, Josephus. Has anybody heard of Josephus? You can actually read his book. He wrote an entire book. He followed Jesus and the disciples everywhere, and he wrote about it in his own book. It's a pretty good book. And, um, and he, he, Josephus refers to this word, Tascus, the same word, when he referred to the Roman army me the way they set up their camps. He used the word order. And what happened is it would indicate that they set things up orderly, organized, and well-planned. Orderly, organized, and well-planned. Why? Because the commanders didn't engage in last-minute planning. Last-minute planning produces chaos. Now, sometimes we have to do it, but they showed the example, everything should be done in order. That's why we dedicate the first 21 days of prayer and fasting to get things in order. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack my heart. What's going on in here? I'm going to bring into order what's my vision for my life. Where do I want my life to be with God, with my family, with my finances? You're bringing everything into order so that you can attack the situation with clarity. But if you don't know what you're attacking, you can't win the battle. Listen, when your marriage is at its worst, it's hard to run and fix it fast. Amen? Resources are at their worst. I can't fix it fast. When my church is going through something, it's not going to be a fast fix. When you're at the pinnacle of the chaos, you can't fix it in this moment. you got to fix it way back here. Amen? Got to fix it with good, good studies. There's so many books at Barnes & Noble. There's so many things on YouTube. There's so many things that you can study to show yourself approved to attack the chaos in your life. So if we look at this scripture verse and the way that it's broke down and decently in order, let's put that scripture verse up in 1 Corinthians 14, 40 again. Shows clearly what God wants for our house and your house. It says, let everything be done No, it's the other one, honey. Let everything be done in a fitting and proper manner that is well-organized, well-planned, respectful, well-mannered, and polite. Do you see how much more extensive this is? This is what God wants for your life. Let it be in order. Let it be organized. Let it be respectful. Let it be well-planned. This is God's vision for your life. Now, let's look at scripture very quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time, but you look at Moses when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. There was a million plus people following Moses. Now imagine the front people probably got the good instruction and the people in the back didn't know what the heck was going on. Imagine a million people that need a shepherd trying to get to a promised land they've never been before. So here you've got all this crazy stuff going on. And what's the first thing God tells Moses? Exodus 30 verse 11, count the Israelites so that you will know how many people are there. 
There was a counting. And after he counted them, what did he do? He put them in tribes. Stick with me, everybody. He put them in tribes. He brought order. He put the tribe of Dan over here, gave them land, and you'll till this land, and you have instructions. He gave it to Reuben and, Reuben and Zebulun and Dan and all of the tribes of Israel, and he brought order to them so that they would know how many were there and what their tasks were doing, the importance of order. I was listening to a, a documentary of 50 Cent, and uh, I know... And uh, he was talking about how all these popular rappers, uh, they get all this money and they literally go bankrupt. You know, their accountants steal money from them or nobody's telling them how much money they're overspending and, and they go bankrupt and they don't even know why. And 50 Cent said this and it always stuck with me. He said, I ain't too busy to count my money. <laughs> Order. He knew, I know where I want my money to be. And this isn't about money again, it's just an example. We can't be too busy that we don't face the things that don't have order in them, amen? You look in scripture, God always had census. He had census for the entire population that was constantly growing. He had a census for the priestly groups. He had a census for the eligible males that were ready for military. He had a census. God was in control. I love this, though. It says in Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps or makes his steps secure. What does that mean? I plan it. I've got an agenda. I've got my year. I know where I want to go. I know where I want this church to go. But Lord, have your way. You establish it. You make the way. You open up favor. You pay the bills. And God will do that when there's order. All right. So we're going to get real. Amen. We're going to get our heart in alignment with what God sees in our life. And the second thing God will do after that, once there's order, God gives the vision and the plan to you. He'll give it to man and woman. And he's so detailed about it. God wants you to get a vision for what you desire in your life. And not just, I want a better marriage. No, what does that marriage look like? We serve God together. We worship God together. We get along. We talk kind to each other. Whatever it is, get that detail written down because God is into details. You look at Noah's Ark. God was into the details of Noah's Ark. He could have said, just build, build an ark and whatever and just save everybody. But he said specific things. It needs to be gopher wood. Why? We don't know. But God knew how it was going to float when it ran. When it rained, God knew how it was going to stain the, the pressure. We, I don't fully understand it. You could probably go study it yourself. I didn't dig in too deep. But God said, make it gopher wood. And he said, make it this size, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. I want you to go animals of every kind. That task alone is a lot. The history says there was like 7.7 .7 million species on the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, on the Ark, not the Covenant. That's a lot of animals. God was specific in what he wanted. You look at the tabernacle, when God wanted the tabernacle built. God was so specific. He didn't just say, go build me a place to dwell. As long as I can dwell there, you know. No, he was specific. He said, build me a place there. The holies of holies is where I, my presence can come. 
He said, before that, that Holy of Holies, build pillars with a veil that only the high priest can come through. And then he said, build the Ark of the Covenant, which I talked extensively about the last two weeks, and cover it with cherubims that are made of gold and call it the mercy seat. Call the outer sanctuary the holy place and have it contain gold lampstands and candlesticks. Listen, God wants you to be specific. He's into the tiniest little amazing details of your life. He wants to give you a vision that will blow your mind. Not just, oh, I need more money. Uh Uh-uh. What do you want it for, amen? What do you want the resources for? First of all, to build the kingdom of God and to live a life that God wants us to live here and to be blessed coming in and blessed going out, amen? Be able to pay my bills and not struggle. Why do we need resources? Get a vision, a detailed vision. Scripture says on the north side, there stood a table which laid the showbread. On the south side was the menorah. On the west side was the veil and the golden altar of incense. Listen, it went on and on and on, the detailed description of God's tabernacle. Amen? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 29, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. Listen, I want to stop right there. Sometimes we look at the church and we're like, well, Pastor Barb is gifted to build this church. And I would tell you, I am limited in a lot of my experience. That's why God brings the church together, amen? Which we're gonna close with that last point. But he said he's young and the work is great. Listen, the work for what you're facing may be great. The work for the kingdom is great. But he said, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Who is this temple for? Not you all. I'm sorry. It's for God to dwell. God to dwell for you, amen? But it's for God to dwell. Now the house, now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might. He got the vision. I need gold things to be made of gold, silver for silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stone, stone to be set, glistening stone of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. What was he casting? The vision. He was casting, this is what I need. This is what's going to be required. It's not like, well, just bring your money in and let's build something. No, he's like, I need gold for this, silver for this, marble for this. He was very detailed in what he wanted God's house to be. And then you look at verse 3, which I don't have there, but it talks about David saying, I'm not only requiring it of you, I'm going to give myself. He said, I'm going to bring my gold. I'm going to bring my silver. I'm, he brought 3,000 talents of gold. He brought a gold of Ophir. He bought, he bought silver. He brought the overlay of the walls of houses. Listen, I'm not asking you to do something I would never do for God's house. I can, I can be passionate for you to serve in God's house because I have served in God's house since I was seven years old. I used to walk the hallways of First Assembly in Rockford, Illinois, and I used to, I couldn't even see over the half door, you know, where they blocked the kids off. My eyes would peek over, and I'm like, you need help? I can serve Kool-Aid and, you know, crackers. And every service, I was in there serving. I became a teenager. I was serving in God's house. That's why, because I know the passion and the pleasure of serving in God's house and how it can change your life, amen? And the same with giving. So he's saying, I have given it all, but look at this last plea, he says, in the last part of verse 5. 
gave the vision, said what he needed, and then he asked, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? I just want you to sit with that and we're going to revisit. He gave the vision and then he said, who of you are with me? He's challenging the people. So let's look quickly. We're talking about vision. Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem, he went and assessed the problem. He went in and found out where were the broken walls. He had the call of God to rebuild the walls, but he didn't just go in and say, well, I'm called by God to rebuild the walls. No, he went in the midnight hour and he snuck around and he tried to identify the enemy. Where's the enemy at? Who is my enemies? Where's the broken wall? How can we get in? And he identified the problem and that God gave him a vision to build the walls again. Locate the weaknesses of the chaos. Locate where the enemy is in this situation and then let God give you the vision. Habakkuk 2, 2 says this. And the Lord answered me, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he who reads it that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Why does he say write it down? Because it's in front of you. Our, our, our Mark said today, what does he have in his mirror? That vision, faith, right in front of him. Get your vision in front of you. Listen, write it down. If you don't have family goals, you should have them. If you don't have spiritual family goals, you should have them. If you don't have kingdom goals, you should have them. If you don't have financial goals, you should have them. Listen, why? Because God has a heart for his house. Your first church is your home. It's your home, and when your home is in order, God's home aligns into order, amen? That means you come in ready. Vision is not just about reaching a goal. It's about fulfilling God's desire for the church, or you can put in whatever it is. Vision is not just about reaching the goal. It's fulfilling God's desire, amen? All right, number three, are you ready? There it is. You can put in what you want. Don't think, well, I just got to reach this goal. I want to be out of debt by 2024. That's okay, but find God in it. What's his desire for that area that you're bringing order to? Find God in it and let God anoint and bless what you do. Amen? All right, number three, what does he do? He gives order. He requires order. He gives vision. Number three, he brings the people. God will always bring the people. Now, this is focusing back into our house, but think of it in a way that if people need to come in your life and bless you, but let's look back at 1 Chronicles 29.5, the last thing that David mentioned. He said, who then is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord? He's like, listen, I just gave you this big vision. I just told you what it's going to require to build God's house. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take resources. It's going to take people. Who of you are ready to consecrate yourself? Why? Because one person can't build God's house. Pastors and elders can't build God's house only once. He's calling the people. What does that word consecrate mean? It means to set yourself apart, and it means a living sacrifice. So what does God want? He wants the church to come together to build his house. Look at verse six, goes on to say, he gave the vision, he asked, how many of you are willing? Verse six, then the leaders of the father's house, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers over the king's work, what did they say? They offered willingly. 
every one of them, they were wealthy men, they were high profile men, and they were also low men. And they said, whatever part we can do, we offer willingly. Why? Because they had a zeal for the house of God to be built, a place for God to dwell. Amen. God wants us to have a heart for God's place, for a heart for his house, for him to dwell in. So verse 7, then they gave for the work of the house of the Lord. Say they gave. They gave. First part we see is they gave resources. They gave for the house of the Lord. They gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold and 10,000 talents of silver and 18,000 talents of bronze and 100 talents of iron. See all the resources that needed to come. Listen, the vision was spoke and what happened? The resources arrived. Amen. Those who had it could give it. Now, not everybody could do this. He's talking about the extent of high money. And, and like Mark said, it's not about the amount, but they saw the need and they met the need. That's how we take care of God's house. It, it can't be done any other way. Amen. It requires the people that offer willingly. Verse 8, and whoever had precious stones, they gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord and into the hand of Jehiel, the Gershonite. And verse 9, what happened? Then the people rejoiced. Wait, there was a big need. There was a big ask. Like, I don't know if I can do that, right? That's a big need. And when the people did it, they took care of God's house. What happened? They were full of joy. There's something about taking care of God's house. There's a joy that comes when you know that you can flood God's house with what you can give God and know that when somebody gets saved, it's because you were a part of that. When a marriage gets restored, it's because you were a part of that. When our youth ministry have encounters with God and have the teachings, it's because you were a part of that. When, when Celebrate Freedom has their Celebrate Freedom has their group and those people get set free, it's because you were a part of it. Amen. For they offered willingly because with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord. And then what happened? And King David also rejoiced greatly. You want to talk about a happy pastor <laughs> that can fulfill the mission of God. That is what God wants. Amen. So he says, I'm going to bring people to give. There are some people that can do that. Let's look at the next part. What did he do? He brought people to build. And this is the part that I want you to look at. In um, verse 30 of Exodus 35, it says this, then Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and of the tribe of Judah. What do you see there? You see the legacy, right? Everything's always been about legacy to God. And verse 31, and he has filled them who God has filled them with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. God put in the wisdom of man from the beginning. He deposited them how to build, how to structure, how to put stones together. God gave man that wisdom. Amen? And it goes on in verse 32, to design artistic work, to work in gold and silver and bronze and the cutting jewels for the setting in carving wood and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Now, why am I reading these boring verses to you? Because I want you to see in Scripture how important who you are and what you can offer to the body is. You may not have the, the, the thousands to give. That's okay. But you have something inside of you, an ability to build the kingdom of God. 
There are workmen in here to, to paint the church building, to make the yard gorgeous, to make sure our, our parking lot is blown and beautiful for guests when they arrive. There are plumbers that should be in God's house. There are air conditioner workers that should be in God's house. God will bring the gifted to take care of his house. The church should never have to call a professional when it comes to God's house. We should say, we got two plumbers in here. They're ready. Call them. Boom. We're there to take care of God's house. We do. We have a landscaper here. We don't ever call a landscaper. They take care of our property. That's how we, you may not have the other things, but you have a gift and a talent. Amen. That you can give to God. So he said, I put them in them a knowing how to do this. Now look at verse 36. And Bezaliel and Eloab and every gifted artesian and whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. And I want you to look at that word artesian and remember that word, okay? Remember the word artesian. All right, verse 2, what happened? This is so powerful. Then Moses called Bezalel and Olha, and I'm saying these really bad, wrong, but Ahliab, whatever, and every gifted artisan and whose heart the Lord had put wisdom and everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. Now, why am I teaching this to our church today? Because we want to prepare for growth in this house. This church is called to take North Phoenix, Arizona, and we need laborers for the kingdom of God. We need the gifted and the talented and those who are willing to bring the wisdom of God, a stirring on the inside of you to do the work of God. Amen? I want to prepare this church for two services. We are like this close to needing to do that. We need those to come alongside to say, I'll have a heart for God's house. I'll do something in God's house. I'll do the extra that is required of me. I know this isn't a happy, clappy message. You're asking me to give. You're asking me to work. When can I get out of here? When is this service over with? <laughs> Listen, this is what God wants for his house. Amen. He wants laborers to build the kingdom of God. And verse 3, and they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning, kept coming in. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. Do you see what happens when the whole body comes together and we do our part, we do our portion? He had to tell him, stop bringing money. Stop bringing your talent. It was overwhelming. Do you know if the whole church would come together, we would have more than enough to do what God's called us to do? Most churches run on 20, and it's probably lower, 20% of the people in the house to take care of God's house. And God never said for it to be a small percentage like that. It is our house for God. It is where we worship, where we raise our children, where we have the word of God, where we have worship. We should take on the passion for God's house and do something in the house of the Lord. It doesn't have to be ginormous, but something. There are people in here who can go in our nursery and take care of our babies. Do you know we have the same rotating four people, if we're lucky, in our nursery? That should never be that way. 
there should be so many on the waiting list. You got one a year, you serve. You're like, wait, I'm only doing it once a year. That's how God's house should be run. We should be knocking on the door. Anybody need help in there? Is there a mama that's been serving in here for six months who needs a break to sit in the church and worship? Listen, this church shouldn't be run on just a small amount of people. There's something inside of you that can do something for Jesus. This may not be your passion, but it's a place. It's a need in God's house. You know, our, our faith kids should have tons of people over there with their gifts and callings. They should have caricatures, and they should have teachers, and they should have people who want to have a camp for the kids, and kids, they want to do summer stuff. Where's the passion for the children in God's house? There's something inside of you sitting in this room and more that are listening that God, I believe, is going to stir. We should have 50 people serving in our faith kids ministry. Loving on those babies in bright colored t-shirts and telling them how much Jesus loves them and showing the love of God that many of them never feel until they get here. Many of them hear the name of Jesus in a blasphemy way, but not in the name of Jesus for love. Amen. We need to have a heart for God's house. What's in me, God, that I can do? Flooding with ushers and greeters and overflow of every need that we have in this house. Amen. All right, where did I leave off? He said, there's too many, verse 6. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, neither let man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing for the materials that was ha- they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. I would love to have a church where we had to say, I'm not going to store up your money. We're going to do something with it. We're going to plant an orphanage. We're going to get wells. We're not here to store up money to ourselves in this church. We're here for the work of God. Now, let's go back to that word artesian really quick. You got a couple more minutes, okay? The word artesian. We know it's the artist, but it drew me to the artesian well. And I looked the artesian well up, and I thought this was so powerful. The artesian well means this. It's an upward movement of water that flows naturally without a pump. So what happens is they dig down into that well at a certain angle, and there's a spring of water that comes up nonstop without a pump. But in the church, we're like, please serve in the nursery. We need workers. We're pumping the well. (laughs) We need ushers and greeters. We need people to shampoo the carpets. We need a cleaning day, and we're pumping the well. But when you tap in to the Spirit of God, and we are serving with our abilities, there's a well of overflow that cannot be stopped. We shouldn't have to beg in God's house for people to serve in God's house. Amen? We should be able to just have such an overflow that we don't ever even have to worry about serving. People are begging to get in there. (laughs) All right. I'm done. I got to close it up. I'm out of time. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. We know that's true. Jesus, what was the first thing he did? He built disciples. Amen. People. He built people. I I do want to close with this. When Jeremiah finished the work of God building the walls, all the labor, all the opposition of the enemy, but when the walls were completed, listen to what happened. When they finished God's house in chapter 7, 50,000 captives returned back to Jerusalem. See, when God's house is prepared, when it's in order, when there's people in place, God says, I will bless the order, I will give the vision, and I will send the people. 
but without everything else, there's not a safe place for the people to come. But as soon as it was done, 50,000 captive Israelites came back to the resting place where they belonged. And in that number, they said 7,337 of them were slaves. How many people are bound in the world? They're bound to addiction. They're, they're bound to suffering and depression. God will bring them to God's house. 245 of them were male and female singers that came when the walls were done. The worshipers will come. The timbrels will come when the house is taken care of. I'll close with this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 14. But now God has set the members. It's down a little bit. They might, okay. But now God has set the members. Say set. God puts into place people. You're like a piece of the puzzle. You're a cog in the wheel. Do you know a clock can be this magnificent clock, but if it's missing one cog, it cannot run properly. You are set by God. Each one of them in the body just as he pleases. Okay, this is the last verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I promise. It says this, but um, it says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So you know what? We can look at the body of Christ and say, well, there's plenty of people. It's being taken care of. I mean, every Sunday and Wednesday, this church flows, right? But God says, I didn't have it just called the body. I've set you in individually. There's something inside of you for the body of Christ. There's a gift in you. There's a love in you. There's a compassion. There's a handiwork that God wants to use for the house. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're going to ask of you to pray and ask the Lord, what part can you play this year at Faith Builders? We need to get ready for two services. And then you know what? We need to get ready for three. But you know, the ones who are here are the ones who have to do the extra work right now. We're the ones that have to dig deep. We have to serve a little extra. Why? So that we can make room for others to come. And then when the others come, we'll put them in your place. We'll replace and then we'll start replenishing. And all of a sudden, we'll have a ministry that will be just flourishing and be what God's called it to be. Amen. So something I'm going to ask you to pray about is to give six months to God somewhere in the church. Six months. You know what that is? Six times. That's it. Six times. And, and if you if you're, have the blessing of ushering or greeting, you get to be in service. Other ministries don't. So maybe like if I'm an usher or greeter, I'll go back and I'm going to teach the kids for six months. I'll give one week a month to serve with the children. I'll give one week to serve with the babies. Or maybe you're not serving anywhere. You can join the ushers or greeter teams. There's places for you to fill the void right now. Amen so that God can send the people that are called to be at this church. So we're gonna put a little flyer up there, and I know this wasn't a hoot and holler and make you shout like last week message, but you know what? It's still what God wants. Yeah. Amen, it's still his word. And God's gonna put that word out there so that he can stir your hearts. So what I'd like you to do, and this is no commitment at all, but text the word serve to that number and someone will be in contact with you. We will need to get you in our welcome home class. We need to go through a little bit about who we are, where we're going, that sort of thing. And then we'd love to meet with you and find if there's a place that you can serve. Amen? Amen. And we all can do a little something, can't we? Yes. All right. So let me close with this. 
Make sure next week you come, bring your, bring your cards, um, bring your pictures of your family. We're going to do our prayer tunnel next Sunday. I believe God is going to do great miracles for your house. Amen. So let's close our eyes. Father, I thank you for this amazing church. I thank you for those that you set in here today, God, whether visitors or just returning back after a while and all of us, God, that, Lord, your spirit just touched them. Lord, remove anything that would trouble their hearts or things that challenge them. Let them go and just hear your spirit this week, God. Lord, the most important thing is today that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you're here today and you're used to going to church, but you've not really made Jesus the Lord of your life. This would be the time to do that. Maybe you're coming back home and you're a prodigal son or daughter, and God wants you to recommit your life back to him. So I'm going to ask all of us to say this prayer together for those who might be saying it for the first time. I want you to just repeat after, after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of all of my sin. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I receive the free gift of eternal life today. In Jesus' name. Amen. With all eyes still closed. If you said that prayer this morning, you meant it with all your heart. Just by a step of faith, just lift your hand up all over this room. Anyone, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Many of you just returning back. I know recommitting. I know so many of you know Jesus, but it's so good to come fresh to him. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word that went forth. Holy Spirit, have your way, have your will, and we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen, amen. And I apologize for the late exit today. We had a lot going on today. So love you all. God bless you.